Coming up in this episode, we've got a special one for you, a best of random thoughts from the road. First, we'll talk about some of the best rides in the Ozarks. Then we'll talk about how to choose the right motorcycle for your particular riding style. Also, we'll talk about the Missouri Mills Run and our very first conversation with that little Randy Lewis from BikeWorks in Urbana, Missouri. So stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, may I direct your attention to something quite extraordinary, quite incredible, quite unlike anything you may have experienced in your life. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. About 10 years ago, my best buddy talked me into buying a motorcycle so we could go touring around the Ozarks Mountains. The rides were amazing. One weekend, I couldn't go, but he went anyway. Tim was topping a hill on a big curve and was hit head-on by a car passing an RV. Thankfully, he survived. And thankfully, he had Schmidt Law Firm on his side. I do too. Motorcycle accidents happen. Schmidt Law Firm will prove negligence and help you get full recovery. Find them online at KansasCityLawyers.com. Put Schmidt Law Firm on your side of the table because motorcycle accidents do happen. You know, riding the long, lonesome highway or back roads aren't always the smoothest. Hitting the occasional pothole or rut can take its toll on your ride. Whether it has two wheels or four, keep Heartland Honda in Springdale in mind. They can service and repair your on-road or off-road vehicle. And when it's time for something new or pre-owned, Heartland Honda in Springdale can fix you up. Check them out online at heartlandhonda.com or give them a call at 479-751-7022. Heartland Honda. Work hard. Play hard. You meet the nicest people at Heartland Honda. I'm often asked, what is the best ride in the Ozarks? A question that is nearly impossible to answer because it really depends on what your riding style is, whether you ride alone or with a group. And of course, it really is a personal thing. What I might think is the best ride might not be your cup of tea. That being said, I will tell you, generally speaking, what some of my favorite rides are. First, in Missouri, I'd have to say that the Old Field Loop is hard to beat. It's a 21-mile ride that obviously begins in Oldfield, where Highway 125 meets County Road 7 and loops around to rejoin Highway 125 south of Garrison. On a clear day, you can see the Boston Mountains in Arkansas, and what I like to do is continue south on Highway 125. Now, that's the Sparta to Peels Ferry Ride, and then you can meet the free Peels Ferry Ride and ride it across Bull Shoals Lake into Arkansas. Another one that's at the top of the list in Missouri is located in the easternmost region of the Ozarks, known as Arcadia Valley. This part of the Ozarks is a true hidden gem that very few people consider, but really should. The ride is the 72-mile Mill Creek to Sockow Ride. Arcadia Valley is where the highest peak in Missouri is, the Tom Sock Mountain, and when you ride these roads, you might even get a slight feeling of riding in Colorado, albeit not quite as high mountains. 
You might also consider the Missouri Mills Run. This 185-mile ride is a trip back in time where you can discover five grist mills from the late 1800s and early 1900s. For nearly a century, these old mills embraced the pace of the olden times, and to a large extent, they still do. These beautiful historic water mills are just one of the many things that make Missouri unique. It really is a very cool ride. Now, in Arkansas, there are so many to choose from, you could spend years exploring the possibility. But a few at the top of my picks would be the Great 24-Mile Pig Trail Ride, which is Highway 23. It's often ranked as the number two ride in America, and it is a great ride. But there are a couple of other rides that I would consider. For instance, the 28-Mile Mount Magazine Byway, which is Arkansas Highway 309 and goes over Arkansas's highest peak. There's also the Arkansas Dragon, a 59-mile ride down Highway 123. A lot of switchbacks on that ride, so I would say it's best suited for the medium to advanced rider. And my personal favorite ride in Arkansas is the 52-mile Talamina National Scenic Byway, which is Arkansas Highway 88 out of Mena. This ride is located in the most southern part of the Ozarks and is often overlooked by visitors to the area. The ride goes along the ridge of Rich Mountain and Winding Stair Mountain in the Washita National Forest. The view overlooking the valleys below is really amazing and are some of the best the state has to offer. Also, the road itself is so well maintained, it's like riding on a magic carpet. I'm often asked if there's a single ride that encompasses the best of the Ozarks, which prompted me to create the Whole Hog Ride Map. It's a 368-mile ride that really gives you a true experience of the Arkansas Ozarks. You can do this ride in one day, but I think it's best to break it up into two days. I don't know about you, but I like to take my time and experience everything the area has to offer. So those are just some of what I think are the best rides to try out. But honestly, the reality is my next ride is probably my favorite ride. You know, the key to motorcycle happiness, it's not about finding the best bike available on the market, but it's more about finding the right kind of motorcycle for you. One that's going to be the best fit for your requirements and the type of riding that you want to do. Now, of course, some motorcycles are specially designed to fit their particular segment of the market, while others are general in nature and can be used by anyone. Let me give you an example. Some motorcycles are more suited for the younger generation than the older, and vice versa. For a new rider, a lightweight motorcycle is always going to be a better choice while learning. Also, it's a good idea to be able to place both of your feet on the ground while stopping. It'll give you a feeling of complete control of the bike. And for the new riders out there that have never ridden a motorcycle before, being able to have your feet firmly on the ground is going to instill confidence in you right from the start. So the question is, how do you choose the right motorcycle for you? It's always a tough decision in choosing the right kind of bike when so many styles and models are available in the market. In fact, I believe that there's no one type of motorcycle that can meet all the requirements of the rider. So to help you narrow down your search and find the right kind of motorcycle that best suits you, I've come up with six categories of bikes to consider. But first, I would suggest you analyze and review the basic purpose of the way that you'll be using your bike. There are lots of options available in the market, and the decision primarily depends on what you want to do with the bike. It's really going to depend on whether you want to ride it off the road or on the road, touring the country or just tooling around town. And of course, 
It always comes down to this. How much money do you want to spend? Now, once you've figured that out, then you're ready to choose the right kind of motorcycle for you based on a few basic parameters. So let's go over those six basic categories. First on the list is the naked, or sometimes people call them a standard bike. This is a basic type of motorcycle which puts you in an upright position. The advantages of a standard bike is that they're available in a variety of models and engine displacement. It's easy to ride and control and is well suited for riding in the city, which may or may not have even road surfaces. This type of motorcycle is ideally suited as a daily commuter and perhaps someone who would use the bike only occasionally for a long-distance ride. Heck, I once rode my 1971 Suzuki T250 from New Mexico to Washington State in the dead of winter, which just goes to show that just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. Picture a guy dressed up like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man on a two-cycle, two-cylinder ring-a-ding going across the country when it's freezing. I want to say it wasn't about a girl, but, well, uh, to be young and stupid again. Now, the disadvantages to a standard bike is they're not able to cope with blowing wind, which tends to make a rider tired when driving for long periods of time. Moving on to the second type of bike is the cruiser. There are a lot of companies that manufacture cruiser types of motorcycles, and the advantage of a cruiser is that you're going to be in a more relaxed riding position. Now, there is a type of rider that might be very interested in a cruiser, and that's those of you that have short inseams. If you're a shorter rider, a cruiser is almost universally a good choice because just about every one of them has a very low seat height, which means that even if you're not a large person and you're on a large motorcycle, you'll find yourself able to easily control the bike. They tend to have good acceleration since most of the cruiser models have at least 650cc or more engine displacement, and their engines are tuned for low-speed torque, which makes them somewhat easier to ride. It's more comfortable for long rides, and it's also a great choice for use as a daily commuter. The disadvantages to cruisers are that they're typically heavier bikes, and they don't corner as well as the naked or standard bike. So if you're a new rider and you think a cruiser is the way to go, a mid-displacement import would make a very affordable first bike. Now let's talk about the third type, the touring-style bike, your Goldwings, BMWs, and Harley-Davidson touring type of bikes. These are designed to be ridden for long distances and usually have larger displacement engines. The manufacturers typically make them very comfortable for riders in terms of both seating position as well as appointments. In fact, it's not uncommon for a touring bike to see full audio systems and navigational aids in an effort to make your ride as comfortable as possible. The advantages of a touring motorcycle are that they usually have more fuel and luggage capacity, which of course means that they can go for long distances hassle-free. And typically, they're equipped with windshields, which provides extra wind protection for the rider. The disadvantages of a touring motorcycle? Well, it's more expensive compared to other type of motorcycles. The cost of a touring model is equivalent to that of a small car. Touring motorcycles are also heavy in weight, which can make it difficult for new riders. Now that takes us to the fourth type of bike on the list, the sport bike, sometimes referred to as a crotch rocket. This style of bike has its roots in the racing industry and is the legal version of a motorcycle used for road racing. The advantages of a sports bike are that the rider can lean in the forward position and ride it comfortably. 
They're high-speed bikes and have excellent acceleration. And since this type of motorcycle is derived from racing bikes, they normally come in at 600 cc's or more. The disadvantages of a sport bike, and this is key, is that they are definitely not well-suited for new riders. They're high-powered performance bikes, and that can spell disaster for the inexperienced riders. In fact, statistics show the majority of motorcycle accidents are inexperienced riders on sports bikes. So if you're a new rider, I would definitely steer away from this type of motorcycle. Moving on, then that brings us to the fifth type of bike on our list, the dual sport or adventure touring motorcycle. The advantages of a dual sport bike are that they are the most versatile motorcycles among the different type of categories of motorcycles available on the market today. You ride the bike in an upright position and they're designed for different road conditions. For example, you can easily ride a dual sport motorcycle on the smooth roads of a highway as well as in the city which tend to have uneven surfaces or even off-road for that matter. An advantage that really comes in handy when riding the back roads. And as many of you know, there are a lot of roads you can be tooling down here in the Ozarks that turn into dirt roads. And like all bikes, there are some disadvantages to dual sport bikes. For instance, they're not typically very comfortable when riding long distances and usually have a higher seat height, which can be problematic for shorter riders. The sixth and last category of this list is the scooter. We've all seen these type of bikes scamping around town. They're a small displacement step-through bike, typically starting at a 50cc displacement, but can have engines as large as 650cc. The main advantages of a scooter are that they can get unbelievable gas mileage, as much as 100 miles per gallon or more. This is a very appealing factor, as I'm sure everyone would like to spend less money on gas. Scooters are also very versatile. They're very good for riding in cities that are crowded because they're very maneuverable and they can be parked almost anywhere. So that gives you a lot of freedom. Another factor is the ease of automatic shifting, which gives an inexperienced rider more enjoyment in the riding experience. Now the disadvantages are that some smaller models may also have more unstable handling. Aesthetically, a lot of scooters just don't have a very streamlined look to them. They pretty much are just rolling chairs with handles in the front. Some people consider them not to be as attractive as a standard motorcycle. There's speed. They don't go as fast as another type of motorcycle might. So if you're looking for speed, you'll likely need to look at one of the other types of motorcycles I've outlined in order to get the acceleration you're looking for. The design of scooters means that they have higher drag, so that also slows them down somewhat. So these are just some of the things you want to be aware of when considering a scooter. I hope these guidelines will help you find your dream bike, one that will be the right fit for you. So do your homework, and once you decide on the kind of bike that best fits your needs, get out there and ride. One of the most popular rides at OzarkRides.com is the 185-mile Missouri Mills Run. This is a very rural ride and takes you through some of south-central Missouri's nicest country backroads and is one of the things that makes Missouri a great place to ride. Back in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, gristmills were the center of community life in the Ozark Mountains. Typically, you'd find a blacksmith shop, a general store with a post office, and sometimes even a sawmill or a cotton gin run by the power from the mill. 
People would come from miles around to visit, get caught up on the latest news, and even vote. It was the center of their universe. And back in the day, it would be a pretty big event to load up the family in the old wagon and go to the mill. And on this ride, you can easily feel like you've stepped in a time machine and get the feeling of being transported back in time. Now, the five mills you'll discover on the Missouri Mills Run are the Rock Bridge, Zanoni, Hodgson's, Dot, and Hammond Mills. Now, right from the start, I'll tell you that gas stations are a rare sight on this ride. So make sure that you start with a full tank and then top off again in Tecumseh. Because if you run out of gas on this ride, you've got a very long walk ahead of you. So let's begin with the first mill, going from north to south. The Rockbridge Mill is located just off County Road Inn in Ozark County. Of the five mills we'll talk about, this one is the most, I'm wanting to say, modernized. What I mean by that is that while it is a very old mill, it's also been updated to become a vacation destination with a Rockbridge trout farm, motel, restaurant, and bar. Now, the original mill was established in 1841 by Captain Kim Amex, who migrated to the area from Kentucky, and it was located nearby, but not on this exact location. But when the town and mill were destroyed by a fire during the Civil War battle, it was rebuilt at its current location in 1868. The mill's reconstruction was followed by the reinstatement of the post office, a general store, bank, a church, blacksmith shop, and a large farmhouse known today as the White House. Heck, they even had a Masonic Lodge, if you can believe it. Really, it was just a small town. The scenery is beautiful with lots of trees and a real old-time feel. The old mill now houses a bar where you can enjoy a beverage and step out to watch the fishermen below try their hand at catching the perfect trout just below the falls drop. The next mill on the ride is the Zanoni Mill. Back on your bike, you'll continue south down County Road Inn for another 10 miles until you come upon Missouri 181. Then you'll hang a left and ride for about two more miles where you'll find the Zanoni Mill, located next to Pine Creek on the north side of the road. This mill was built in 1905 by Doc Morrison and later restored by his grandson. It was what they called an overshot wheel mill. Currently, the mill is operated as a and b and it's kind of hit and miss proposition on whether you can actually visit the mill. However, it is very visible from the highway and is worth slowing down to catch a glimpse of this well-preserved example of a rare overshot mill wheel. Moving on, we'll head off to the Hodgins Mill, which is also located on Missouri 181, west of Zanoni Mill, just about six miles. Built in 1897, this mill, in my opinion, is the most beautiful of all the mills. While it's no longer a working mill, it closed back in 1976, it is well-maintained and appears exactly the way it would have back in its heyday. A three-and-a-half-story timber frame building covered with red-painted weatherboards. It's situated at the base of a cliff where Hodgson Springs discharges. At the time, the mill was state-of-the-art with its installation of a dynamo to generate electricity to light the mill and imported two millstones from France for stone-grinding flour. Can you imagine the effort that it must have taken to get two huge, enormously heavy millstones all the way from France and halfway across the country, let alone the undeveloped, hilly backcountry of the Ozarks? It was no small feat, to be sure, back in the late 1800s. 
and it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2002. If you've brought a lunch with you, this is a great place to stop and have a picnic. It's a very picturesque mill, and it's one of my favorite places just to come sit and relax and unwind. The next mill on our ride is the Dot Mill, a 15-mile ride on County Road H, which then becomes County Road PP, where you'll take a right on Rural Road 318. It won't be hard to find. You'll notice it by the old Clear Springs Church on the corner and the sign, of course, that says Dot Mill. There's really nothing else out there. Follow that road for less than a mile, and you've arrived at the Dot Mill. Now, like the Rock Bridge Mill, this one has become a tourist destination, with a restaurant, lodging, and all of the other things that you would expect to find, including float trips. However, the mill has retained the original feel of an old-time mill and gathering place. The history of Dot Mill goes back to the late 19th century and has marred in quite a bit of family drama. In 1874, President Grant conveyed a patent for the land where the mill sits today to Ruma Isom. There had been a mill established on the property as early as 1866. The land was sold the same year to Samuel Price. Price then sold the land to James Colson in order to pay for his alimony of $500. Plus, the court costs, let's not forget about that, for the divorce of his wife. Apparently, it didn't work out too well for those two. Oh, in case you're wondering, $500 in 1866 would be equivalent to a little over $8,000 today. Over the next few years, the mill changed hands several times, along with a share of sale. In 1900, local rumors say that the Friend Mill, which was competition to the Dot Mill, paid a young boy $10 to burn down the dot mill. After the fire, Alva Hotchins, member from the Hotchins Mill, that family purchased the land and rebuilt the mill into a three-story roller mill, powered by a turbine. Along with the mill, he built a general store, a blacksmith shop, cotton gin, sawmill, and a large family dwelling. A post office was opened also in 1907, but it closed in 1934. And over the years, the mill had changed hands several times. The history of the mill was the stuff that would make for a great soap opera. Even though the mill is highly commercialized, it still does give you the feeling of stepping back in time. It's definitely a fun place to visit. After you've had a chance to unwind and get some lunch at the Dot Mill, yeah, there's a restaurant there, it's time to get back on your bike and head toward the last mill on the Missouri Mills Run, the Hammond Mill. Unlike all of the other mills on this ride, Hammond hasn't been maintained and is in poor condition. Some would say it's even in ruins, but it is still there, so you may or may not want to check it out. Assuming that you do, this part of the ride is 40 miles long and begins by getting back on County Road PP and heading south until you hit Missouri 160, which is just a little over a mile down the road. Then you'll hang a right and continue west for another 28 miles until you reach Highway 95 where you'll turn right. Then head north for another 10 miles until you come to County Road D. Turn right on D. Continue for a mile until you reach Rural Road 848. Then turn left again and ride another two and a half miles. Cross the bridge and then you're there. The one thing I do want to mention is the last couple of miles is on a dirt road. So just keep that in mind when considering this mill. 
If you decide to blow off this part of the ride, and honestly, I would, what you may want to consider doing is continuing west on 160 for 38 miles until you come to Missouri 125. From there, you can either head south and head for the Peel Ferry, which takes you across Bull Shows Lake into Arkansas, or you can go north on 125, which will eventually take you to Ozark and Highway 65. You can even continue west on 160 if you choose, which will get you over to Forsyth and the Branson area. Well, that's pretty much all the information you need to know about the Missouri Mills Run in south-central Missouri. It's a great ride, and I hope you take the time to check it out. What's up, Craig? How you doing today? Well, I guess I'm all right. I mean, you know, you're in my place, yeah. and that's disturbing to me well, right out of the gate. You're still ugly, so there's that going for you. I don't mind being ugly so long as I'm prettier than you. Yeah. So, you know, that got my standards. We've got the sweet radio faces, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so well, what got you into motorcycles? So I guess the the part that I remember fondly, and it seems funny because I grew up in a house that, you know, we had a dirt bike and had crap like that. But, you know, my dad had a motorcycle way back in the day, but I never saw it. And honestly, he's one of those guys that just different lifestyle for the different times. Did he not ride? He rode a little bit, but, you know, he had a chopped out um, Honda 750 is what it was. The inline fours, just kind of pretty quintessential 70s type dude. Instead of having a, a Harley, it was a, you know, it was a 750 Honda. So anyway, had a huge long front end. I remember them telling the story about my mother's dad just being pissed about her date name because of that stupid bike. It was loud. It was obnoxious. It was dangerous. They Don't were, those are the best kind. Yeah. See, that's how I feel about it. Uh, so anyway, they, they tell me the story about him, you know, coming up the drive. They lived in Colorado at the time. So it was a big mountain drive and they could hear him coming forever. And my old man liked to drink alcohol at the time. And, you know, he was a, he was a rodeo guy too. So, you know, he rode bulls, rode Bronx. That's what he did for a long time. In fact, that's what got us to come to Missouri in the first place. So that's, I think that's the first story I remember hearing about a motorcycle period, other than just being into them. You know, I was a kind of a big car guy. I always liked doing cars, whatever I could with them. I was always into it. But anytime I was around a big group of cars and there was one or two motorcycles, whether it was the stupidest little, you know, 250cc or big cool chopper or anything, I was always drawn to them. Couldn't get away from it type of thing. So anyway, if memory serves me right, I think I was about seven or eight, you know, maybe as old as nine. Um, down here where we live, there's a, a little town called Fairgrove, and they were building an interchange to where it switched from two lanes to four lanes, and then it went on to, a, you know, Springfield. So anyway, I remember being in the back of my mother's car and just hearing this crazy roar coming up from behind us. Couldn't figure out what it was. So we make the we make the detour onto the four lane, and as we go onto the four lane, motorcycles just pass us on both sides. And right then and there, I was like, that's me. That's what I'm going to do when I get older. It's got to be that. Anyway, I just thought it was cool, the idea of doing whatever the heck you wanted to do at whatever time. You know, not necessarily, you know, this isn't the wild ones where they're talking about the old movie where they're talking about how anybody on a motorcycle is a criminal type. But, uh, you know, just the idea of the freedom of being able to go where you want, do what you want, and just being on two wheels, it just was super attractive to me. So as we're following the the whole big group, you know, it's not like they were out breaking all the rules or anything like that. But, you know, it was almost like they were in sync. As they passed cars, the whole group would get over and they'd get back together. Um, it, it was just, I don't know, just mesmerizing for me. 
And from that point on, I knew I was going to have it, you know, as many motorcycles as I could possibly afford. It's kind of like a drug. You got you <laughs> just a little bit and get you hooked. Yeah, yeah like and going pull you in, going to the other side of the tracks and getting you a little bum bump. Yeah, and then uh, you just got to keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got started when I was five years old. Dad was a uh, a body and fender man. You know, repaired wrecked cars and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, so he was pretty handy, and he bought him uh, bought well uh, us one of those kit mini bikes that you put the old Briggs and Stratton engine on. Yeah, buddy. And, uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, uh, on your block, if you didn't have a mini bike, you weren't, it. you were, you just weren't <laughs> anything. You, you had to have a mini bike to be the shit. Yeah. And so he built us one of those and, uh, little, uh, Briggs and Stratton with a straight pipe. So it was good and loud. You gotta have it loud. Well, what's the point? Why bother? Right. right. And then, uh, I guess after that, um, my first experience with a real bona fide motorcycles, uh, Dad was a real family man. So everything on the weekend involved the kids. You know, the old cab over mm. camper, yeah. going to Big Bear Mountain, huh. or going out to Salton Seed in California to uh, ride motorcycles. I so can just he, see that now. You, with your long hair flowing in the wind, with a shirt that says good vibes only, just head out the window. It was the, the six, early 60s. There yeah. was not a lot of long hair, <laughs> <laughs> like a crew cut. Yeah. <laughs> um so you but, had your east wings and your pants rolled up, huh? Exactly. And so he bought a uh, an old Honda CT90. Some people call them like a Trail 90, little yeah. step through. And, man, those bikes would go anywhere. They're not fast, but they were built for ranchers down in South America originally. Hmm. And so he had one of those, and it had a rack. It had a single seat with a rack on the back. Well, of course, I couldn't touch the ground. So my older brother, he would ride on the rack. Dad would put a pillow on the rack, and he would ride on the rack just to keep me stable. He thought the greatest thing in the world would be when he was coming back to the camper and we was going slow enough that he would jump off and I would be on my own without <laughs> telling me, of course. Yeah. And um, so that was my first Fourier into a real motorcycle. And, of course, I couldn't stop because I couldn't reach the ground. So Dad had to run alongside and grab the bike. The best part of that, the most memorable experience I, I can remember is the beating my brother took. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, the best part of anything. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was all worth it. Yeah. And then from then on, you couldn't keep me off a motorcycle. It's just like you said, man. It's just a drug. It's just something about being on one. And, and I don't know. It just, I guess some people have it and some people don't that, that draw to them. Exactly. I mean, my very first car when I was 16 was a 67 Chevelle 396 SS. And uh, I was into motorcycles so much, I had it for four months. Sold it. Stupid. But I <laughs> sold it and bought a Suzuki T250 oh. two-cycle, two-cylinder twin. Dang, man. And just a ring-a-dings. Remember those? I love the ring-a-dings. Oh, yeah. You can't find them anymore. Man. But uh, you couldn't keep me off a motorcycle. The only thing better than that was the two-cycle, three-cylinders. I had it. one. Did you? Yeah, it's called an H2 Kawasaki 750. Yeah. Dangerous, most dangerous bike I ever rode on or ever had. Uh, they're scary. On paper, it seems like it'd be a great idea. Not so much. <laughs> In fact, they did, they stopped making them because the sales were so poor because they were a great bike. They're just, just too much. Yeah. The I torque on that. them, the uh, on the front forks. And where the forks meet the frame, they had a uh, 
from the factory a uh, torsion bar on it. Dang. Because when you hit the throttle on one of those, it would pull real hard the front uh, to the right. Ah, uh, because just and the so torque. It, yeah, and so you had to supplement. I looked uh, actually the other day online on eBay and other sources to try to find me one of those. Yes. Can't find it. <clears throat> nah, there's one out there somewhere. You just yeah. got to look hard enough. Yeah, somewhere. but And somebody's not going to give it up, though. Yeah, probably. You ain't got enough money to buy one, I guess. Evidently not, but, you know, one can dream. <laughs> so, you know, money's no object. Tomorrow you win the, the, the Mega Millions, the Powerball. Mm. You can only be allowed to buy one bike, and then your wife gets the rest of it. Yeah, that's a tough question. There's so many bikes out there that, that I plan to own or build or have or, or what have you. Um, but I just, I just kind of got this old soul type of thing. So I think I'd have to go with, I'd probably have to go with a vintage Harley, you know, something, gosh, I don't know. I'm honestly not partial to one year or one model or anything. Obviously everybody's going to say, well, you got to get a knucklehead man, a pinhead brother. But, you know, I've had them all, rode them all. I just, I just don't think that I'm attached to just one bike. I I mean, I could take and ride a, you know, 30s knucklehead or a 40s panhead or anything like that. And then I could jo- go jump onto a KZ650 or a KZ1000 and equally be as enthused about it. So I don't think that I would be satisfied with just owning one motorcycle for the rest of my life or being able to buy just one. But I'm kind of feeling like I would almost... I would be really, really drawn just in the place that I'm at right now is for a uh, old BMW, I think is what I'd oh, buy. Yeah. You know, my uncle's had, my uncle rather, had Moto Guzis all growing up. Um, Love that's all the Guzis. All I ever heard about was Guzis. There's a Guzi right there. I see that. But uh, I'm kind of just thinking right now from where my mind has been with designing a couple of different bikes that I've been wanting or whatever that I think I'd go with an old BMW just because I'd love to do something with one. What about you? Well, if we're going under the premise that uh, you can only have the one bike, it would be a bike that I could ride if I wanted to, but mostly it would sit in my office. Mm. It would be a Vincent Black Shadow. That's a nice bike. I think, yeah. That, I think that, it'd be okay. You look, know? but don't touch. <laughs> yeah. So. You see, with that premise, though, and maybe it's just my wife hates this about me because I'm always thinking about how can I fractionalize everything down. If I could only buy one motorcycle, I would buy the most expensive motorcycle I could possibly find. So, oh, turn and around and sell it. Sell it. And get a, and a dozen. buying a ton of bikes is what oh, I yeah. do. That, See, now you're thinking. Knowing me, that's probably what I'd end up doing. Uh, it's just It's just a thing that I've got, and I don't know what it is about it, but... You know, if you look at the recent history with me, I've owned, I don't know, in the past year or two, I've probably owned five or six trucks, vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> That's the growing uh, joke around here. Yeah. It's, what, it's, what's he driving today? Exactly. I'm just a poor white kid from the middle of nowhere, kind of a nobody from nowhere type of attitude. And and I, I just have to buy one, get it out of my system, do what I want to do to it, and then send it down the road and get the next one. So... Until I'm in a spot where I can own them all at the same time, that's where I'm at. And honestly, I'm super happy with it. You know, right now I'm driving an old 88 square body Chevy four-doored with a Cummins diesel motor in it. And nobody else has got one of those. But, you know, I've had, recently I've had as new as a 14 Jeep Wrangler that was all modified. Had Mega Cab Diesel, Toyota Tundra. I mean, it's just, I've had nice new vehicles, but 
There's just something about the yesteryear that gets me. Yeah. We, we live down a mile long dirt road and my wife said, Randy's here. We don't see him yet, but I hear just his wait truck. wait for it. Wait yeah, for it. Wait for it. He's be coming around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is me, I guess. Uh, I would, like for me, I, I've gotten old enough that my materialistic things, uh, I like to keep it simple. Yeah. I just don't need it. I had, I've been there, done that. The old saying goes, yeah, uh, it doesn't interest me anymore, but you know, I would like to collect bikes. That would you know, be amazing. There's a rumor around. I think it's, I'm sure it's true. I don't know who it is. And it's, the guy is keep keeping it secret. And I would too, if I was him. But there's a guy around here somewhere that has, it's been said to have a uh, a barn or a, a, a steel building somewhere that has a lot of motorcycles in it. It's his collection. That's his, he's retired. Mm-hmm. So I'm told. In fact, so I'm I, told. Heard, so I've told that you may or may not have seen yes in rumors fact. in fact but that's what i would like to do i mean that would be my crazy thing just have i'd like to have all the bikes i've already owned once because you know nostalgia yeah i wished i didn't sell that i <laughs> wished i had my bsa i wished i had that kawasaki h2 yeah but hindsight right 2020 uh, yep yeah i mean rumor on the street is is this he's a pretty cool guy laid back um kind of right now currently into vintage motocross racing stuff um the guy travels back and forth between california and here and he'll go out there buy some bikes up bring them back here and fix them or buy some bikes here and take them out there and fix them up he's just kind of another one of those guys that just that's all he does is eat sleeps and breathes just vintage motorcycles but the thing about him is is in this guy is it's vintage japanese and european motorcycles is what it is so, and by what I mean by vintage, you know, we're also getting up in years to where 70s and 80s seem vintage or 80s do rather. But it's, I mean, it predates 50s, 60s, 70s, and some 80s, but mainly through the 70s is, is kind of where his niche is. Now he's kind of getting into the 80s motocross um, dirt bikes and stuff. And he's got some cool ones and he's got some stuff that, you know, even I was taken back by, by not, you know, not ever seeing them. You know, you get those old magazines and you look through them and. You see these guys running trails or running bikes, and it's these types of bikes that are sitting there in real life in his garage, in his shop, rather. It's a, I mean, it's a decent-sized building, but it's just plain Jane, and that's that's what the going thing is, is about this guy. You know, I was telling you about Dad would always take us out on the weekends, and it got to where we were pulling a trailer, and we got into the motocross mm-hmm. thing on the weekends, and uh, I wished I had some of those, you know, the old Honda Elsinore 125. Oh, man. Uh, Dad had a Mako 501. Mako? Really? A Mako 501, which it it scared the hell out of me just to watch it start up. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, it would be nice to have that. Just to even look at those things. You can't even find them to, you know. Yes. That, in my opinion, I think, you know, you're kind of hitting on that is just the idea of being able to touch something from the past that was one time in its prime and is still just ridiculously cool maybe to only people like you and i but you know the idea of where where everything came from to me is really attractive exactly it's the appreciation yeah yeah so now in your shop you do a lot of customizing i know you've done some work for me and uh and of course you know not just customizing you you do a lot of uh maintenance and an overall bike shop but i know that your favorite thing to do is to kind of build something from nothing yeah, when a customer says, I don't care what you do, just yeah. call me when it's done. 
Yeah, those are those are my favorite ones. Um, I'm not saying I'm the most creative person in the world or, you know, I'm not a savant by any means. But what I take pride in is when I do a custom bike for somebody, it's got to fit them. I don't give a shit what magazine it come from or, you know, a style or someone else building a bike or anything like that. Like to me, you know, if I was to sit down and build you a custom motorcycle, I'd like to kind of get to know you. What's, you know, what's what's important to you? What, you know, what really sends a motorcycle home to you? And then instead of just going out and, you know, flipping through the catalogs and looking at other paint schemes from other builders or other people or what have you and doing that and just saying, yeah, here you go. This has kind of got some of your stuff. Now I'm not saying I'm going to take you like through the Orange County chopper years where they would take and do builds for companies and put all their stuff on them and trinkety stuff. Like, I mean, like, you know, just stuff that speaks to you. Like currently I'm doing a 1950 pan head for a kid. Yeah. We've got videos of that on uh, OzarkRides.com. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, but it was his father's bike and kind of what we did with it is, is I wanted to make it kind of personal to him. So we built it kind of off of what his father would want. And the two things that I just think aren't necessarily kitschy cool, but just kind of will always stand out in this guy's mind is I did a neck stretch and rake and, and metal work onto it. On one side, I've got the kid's name airbrushed onto it. And then on the other side, I've got his father's nickname airbrushed onto it. Super subtle. It's not, it doesn't stand out. So I don't feel like it's tacky or gaudy or anything, but just one of those things that when he looks at it, he's going to remember, you know, back in the 1980s, this, my dad's ass was sitting right here riding this motorcycle. And now I am. And then, you know, this How guy. How can that not be just cool? Yeah. It's, it's bone chilling is what it is. Um, and then the other thing with it, and this is kind of something that I don't know if it's cool or if it's corny or what, but I was doing the teardown on the motorcycle and the only thing that there wasn't a ton salvageable as far as body panels or seats or anything like that. I mean, we saved a lot. It's the original frame motor and trans. Um, but a nickel just fell out of nowhere. I mean, I was taking the seat off and there was nothing underneath the seat, pulled the battery out and everything. And just a nickel falls onto the ground, does the whole roll around thing. And it lands right in front of me. So it's kind of odd and it kind of spoke to me a little bit. So it's got a four-speed ratchet top transmission, and on those, the speedometer plug is a big cap that comes if you're sitting on the bike. It's the front left part of the transmission. So what I did is when I sent everything out for chroming, I had that nickel chrome with it. And we're not running a speedometer because, you know, who who cares how fast you're going? You know, you're just there to ride, I In guess. In the 70s, you didn't use a speedometer. Right. I mean, this bike is – it's as minimal as possible. So I took that chrome to nickel, put it underneath the cap of the speedometer – um, where it would normally go, screwed it down and tightened it up. And now it seals off that old speedometer hole and his dad's nickels there with him. So just another one of those things that a piece of his father is always going to be with that. So you now you, you do realize now that the bike is haunted, <laughs> haunted or blessed, whichever one you want yeah, to look at. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Potato, potato. <laughs> correct. Correct. So, one of the things I like about what you do is, and maybe it's not even, uh, recognizable to the average rubbernecker is it's things like that that are just a little different yeah somebody that really is into bikes and stuff like that they're going to notice right away and even if they don't notice right away in the mind they're saying wait a minute there's there's something askew here something is off and they get to inspecting it a little closer but the cool thing about what you do is you don't go out and buy parts 
I mean, I could go out and buy parts for my bike. Well, if they made them. Yeah. And, yeah. and slap them on. Anybody can do that. Correct. And you can buy, you can buy a body kit and put it on, send Correct. it off to a painter and you're done. What I like that you do is you make it from scratch, custom. Who's that guy that I like? I can't even remember his name. Never can. That TV show. Ian Ruzel. Ian Ruzel. Yeah. Um, yeah. His program on TV, uh, on MAV TV. Is, I can't remember the name of his show, but you're right. I mean, he's. Don't go to the store and buy it. Make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what's cool. Well, granted, I, I'm young by today's standards or by most people, you know. All you're my, young by my standards. Yes, I guess you should right there. All my friends and all my buddies or the people that I click with or talk to are usually not my age. Like I'm – I would much rather hang out with somebody. Is it because the people your age won't have anything to do with you? Most likely. You know, either they got their <laughs> skull cracked by me or I told them to flip off at one point in time. But uh, no, honestly, I just I just feel like it's a – a different generation is really what speaks to me. And I remember thinking, you know, growing up thinking about wanting to build bikes and wanting to build cars and things like that. You know, tooling is amazing. I'm a tool freak. Love it, right? But the problem I have with some stuff today is it's it's just like it's easy to go to a computer. Well, I say easy, you know, for the people that do it, it's probably easy. For me, it'd be like, you know, you know, monkey and a hammer on the computer. That's just not who I am. But anyway, what I'm saying is, is it's it's easier to take a design or an idea in your mind, rough sketch it out, give it to a computer guy, blow it up on a print, and then take it to, you know, like on the on the west coast or whatever. Basically, it's Arizona right now doing the the bagger scene that's real huge. It's easy to come up with a design and a style, take it to a place that does like injection molding, and stamp it out. Yeah, and they stamp just start banging out parts. Now, if you like money. That's freaking awesome. You know, that's lucrative as hell right now. I mean, it's making parts is really honestly where the industry's at right now. It's not, it's not like back in the day where you got Billy Lane and Indian Larry and people like that and uh, Matt Hotch building one off parts, one off pieces like that. You know, that's a thing of the past, honestly. You make no money doing it. It takes a crap ton of time. The generation right now just doesn't appreciate that stuff. But, but that's what got me is just like, dang, you know, you look at a, four by eight sheet of, you know, 16, 18, 20, 22 gauge, whatever sheet metal you're, you're hammering it out of. And then they make something just, that's super badass and just super clean. And just that to me is what is the best. And then you start looking at some of their tooling and it's a freaking oxygen acetylene bottle cap on welded onto a stick. You know, it's a rod and hammers and wood stumps and sandbags and things like that, where, you know, you have got to beat this thing into submission to make it come out right. And for me, even though I'm, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit I, I'm the worst at it probably. I'm crappy at fabricating stuff like that in comparison to some of those names that I just give out. I, I don't know. You know, you did the work on my bike, uh, mm-hmm. 95% of it. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I cannot take my bike out ever. And I haven't been able to go anywhere and stop and get gas or some water or something. And somebody say, that's cool. Who did that? I've never seen that before. And you know, and I know, nobody will ever find another bike that looks like mine. No. If you see it going down the road and I'm not on it, it was stolen. <laughs> that uh, is true. But, I believe you'll take it to But everything brain. is handmade because they don't make, frankly, parts for no. a 2003 Victory anymore. Right, right. Not, not to the extent that you have done. Yes. And, you know, that's what I like about it. You can go in there and say, I have an idea. 
this is what I want to do, and you make it happen. I never have once heard you say, eh, you can't do that. I've heard you say, that's a dumb idea, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's your pocketbook, whatever you yeah. want, buddy. But uh, no, it, it that kind of just hits back on what I was saying. You know, it's I've got a certain thing that appeals to me, but who am I to tell you what you should have or shouldn't have? You know, if you want unicorns and crap all over your motorcycle, if that's what's going to get you and like make you want to ride this thing, let's put some unicorns on this thing. Dude. Yeah. Like I don't care as far as that goes. It's not, I'm not having to live up to a certain standard or a certain, you know, um, there's a guy named Billy Mitchell out West and he does only one style of motorcycle. Like it's just his style. That's it. I commend him for it. You know, he's a, he's a pretty righteous dude. You know, he's been doing it a long time. Ex Exile Choppers is what his shop yeah, name yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. You know, he does the same thing over and over and over and over again. People love it. You know, people get a kick out of it, whatever, but. But they go to him knowing that that's what yes, they want. They go to him knowing that this is the type of bike they're going to get and which is great. You know, good for him. He's 10 times better. And, you know, I'll probably never ever in my lifetime be as good as a guy like that or anything. But for me, it's just more about the personalization. It's kind of like, you know, come bang some ideas around with me. I'll tell you what I think is rad or cool. And, you know, you tell me what you think and let's draw this thing out or let's just map it out or whatever. And let's just see what happens, man. Let's just roll with it. I like that idea. Yeah. But you talk about styles and we can, we can look back through time and, you know, I'm again, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm the best or greatest at anything. That's just my personality, but you know, I can like Jesse James, OCC Choppers, Billy Lane, you know, Matt Hodge, um, even Arlen Ness and, and people like that. You can always look at all their motorcycles and throughout, you know, the predicate them beginning to them at the end, you could say, Oh, that's a, you know, that's so-and-so's bike. And I think these guys started out that way. But one big difference is, is these guys, if you'll watch these shows and, and, and know how they operate, they have shops that have, you know, these great big hydraulic hammers and, and benders <laughs> and mandrel benders and things mm -hmm. like that. Where you go into your shop, you got a hammer yeah, and, and, and a vice. It's old school blacksmithing is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's because I'm just a poor kid or if it's because, Probably. you know, I just Because I it. think I know you. I think if you had oodles of money, there would be some cool tools in there. There would be. I'm always looking to up my game and uh, and try to figure out how I can make everything a little bit better. So obviously with tooling, you know, yeah, if I had a, a digital pipe bender and stuff like that or, you You'd know. You'd use it. Yeah, I, I would. Now, I, I would like also be able to It's like that 70s bike. The whole purpose of that was to build that 70s bike yes. we were talking about the way they would have done in the yes. 70s. Yep. And so it was done the old-fashioned way. Yep. I, I fully feel like things have got a soul with them and, you know, uh, call it whatever you will. But, you know, I wanted to do that bike in the traditional way of how they would have done it back then. 